Hello and welcome to another episode of the Noise Podcast as part of the Noise Podcast Network and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. Today, me and Jack will be discussing the new album from Joe Appleford, a debut from a fantastic singer-songwriter. And then, me and Jack will also be discussing the new album from Highlong, a band that I won't even try and describe to you. You just need to listen to what we say about it. Um, Later on, I'll be discussing Joe Appleford's new album with Joe Appleford as well. Um, and talking about lots of stuff, including your songwriting style influences and all that good stuff. Okay, thank you so much and enjoy the podcast. Please make sure you follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast Network at Noise UK. Follow us, like or subscribe on YouTube and Spotify and all that good stuff. Please follow us on every available social media, new and old. All right, thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Noise Podcast Network, brought to you by Stereo Brain Records. Uh, I'm joined once again um, by kind of my boss, kind of my friend, kind of my peer, associate, degenerate, and psychiatrist. Jack, how are you, sir? Tuesday, when I've had the busiest day, even by my standards, and just wasn't in the headspace, was already feeling defeated, and like I wasn't going to be able to do the podcast and then walked out from having a just this this full on day in work and everything else to just a text from you or a number of texts from you just explaining exactly um, why we weren't going to do the podcast and why that the why that I validating all of the feelings that I felt. Um, so, yeah, I'm just blowing smoke up your ass because uh, you were an excellent friend on Tuesday um, and that was needed it was the first thing i looked at when i came out of of work very late uh and that was amazing so thank you today i'm probably more fraught than i was <laughs> yesterday albeit less <clears throat> headachey and tired um and i've just yeah it just all the usual stuff um because of of such i've been to a wedding today uh followed by handover from parents with daughter who had meltdown who was upset who did not want a shower but we were confident she'd have a shower she did not have a shower she'll be having one in the morning um (laughs) and that was very very stressful um that has then led me to not being able to listen to one of the two records that we're talking about this evening Yeah, I'm, I'm good I'm good man uh don't worry um I'm a teacher that doesn't have to go into school for like another three weeks so yeah. if i didn't listen to these records jack it would be, be such a gargantuan failure on my part let's be honest um for you it's perfectly upset, acceptable for me i'm living like a borderline homeless degenerate so there's no reason why i can't just sit myself through a couple of hours and listen to some records and write some notes it was quite nice to be productive i even planned some lessons today um i also made the first uh, used, you know, we had this conversation a couple of days ago. Bought a blender, very exciting. Um, made the first yeah. unhealthy smoothie this evening as a bit of a reward. Um, for it. Uh, it's decadent is the best word to describe what's about to happen in here. I swear to God, if you put tomato ketchup in it, I'm gonna be no, 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 no. It was all dessert. It was all dessert. Um, so I have these like Magnum type ice creams, but there's Aldi version. Do like a chocolate orange version. Um, so I cut some of those into slices, put those in the bottom, added to that uh, a Pop-Tart, some chocolate covered Oreos, peanut butter, um, milk, Maltese and milkshake and some crunchy spread and blended that and drank it like a smoothie about half an hour How's ago. How's your tummy? How's your tummy? Ask me in half an hour, dude. Ask me in half an hour. <laughs> So far, we'll wrap this up. So, uh... so far, it's like I've like I've just lived an afternoon, like I'm in a member of Motley Crue, because I am flying right now, bro. Like coffee granules in the brain right now. Um, going really, really well. Gonna crash hard in like 45 minutes. There might be some tears. Um, but it's fine because <laughs> I've got to I've got to have a I've got to have an early day tomorrow. So it'd actually be ideal if I just had like a you know a grizzly nap just at like. 11 p.m. this evening um but you know yeah, that's not a nap mate that's fucking bedtime you realize yeah that. yeah yeah I, I thank you um thanks mm. dad um but yeah so that's that's what i do when i've been left to my own devices 
Um, so you just tried to parent. And also, good for you. We both know if I came back from a wedding and had to do a podcast, what state I'd be in. Um, so the the idea that you've come back and you're able to like speak, function, um, pay compliments, stand up straight is 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 really phenomenal. So let's get this uh let's get this show on the road. We're supposed to be we're supposed to be talking about two records today. One of them, the artist of which I will be speaking to tomorrow, is recording this Wednesday, the 17th of August. I'll be speaking to Joe Apple for tomorrow evening, about 7 o'clock, 7.30, um, discussing um, the album. Now, just a little bit of background. Uh, Joe Apple is a singer-songwriter. He's a former member of a band called Bad Sign. He was a band of that six years. Uh, this band that he's formed now, which is really solo, solo record with a, with a sort of backing band with him. Um, the PR notes compared it to Black Keys and White Stripes. He says he's been inspired by Motown. The producer of this record um, has also worked with Creeper, Boston Manor, and Trashbone. So there's a lot of there's a lot of like weight to sort of the comparisons going on here. Um, of all of those names that I mentioned, specifically the PR comparison, Black Keys, the White Stripes, the references to Motown throughout some of the stuff, and the fact that the the producer produces massive uh, pop chorus bands such as Creeper and Boston Manor. Did you hear any of those in Joe Appleford's music? Yeah, I, I mean, particularly uh, particularly Boston Manor, the way in some of uh, the, the stylings and, and, and generally the composition of stuff, I, I, could, I could hear that Boston Manor, maybe a little bit of Trash Boat sort of when it leans less towards the kind of heavy rock and more towards the sort of alternative, um, you know, rock stylings. But for me, I think one of the biggest comparisons for me was was probably Alexis on Fire, uh, and 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 sort of some of the direction that they've taken, and 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 the way that they'll style the music that they do now. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can hear you can hear that uh, in. You can kind of feel what Joe Appleford and um, and his band were trying to kind of pull together, and it's no surprise that that that's the that it had a real finesse to it, doesn't it? You know, it's got a real clean, polished, full, expansive sound, hasn't it? So yeah, I think what really really struck me for for what is an emerging artist is how professional this sounds and how quickly sounds. Very quickly, um, he's a talented boy, isn't he, Mister Appleford? Um, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. I, I said, so patronise. He's probably older, bigger, and stronger than me. Um, and I'm like, good for you. I you think both. he's our age? Oh, okay. Well, I'm at least, sure at least he's, he's of, peer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's like sort of just to uh, around. Th- I read somewhere in the in the in the in the press notes him being the age of 28 at some point recently. So, yeah. Yeah, so really got no excuse for speaking to him like Neville Longbottom. Um, but he's he's such a talented, such a talented bloke, and you can you can hear um a real versatility in both his voice and some of the um some of the riff work here, some of the songwriting. I kind of got a Don Broco if Don Broco weren't just horrendous human beings kind of vibe. Um just like a Don well, Broco like... for, for for my palate. Right, Don Broco as if they didn't have like a shit sleazy vocalist. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm 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 fully in on that. Yeah, a more palatable, because... less hateful Don Broco, yeah. Yeah, massively. Uh, which, and I actually feel that that's that's a compliment, not a slur. Because all the small no. bits you like about Don Broco that you wish I wish I could like that, but I can't because you're a bunch of you know, oh wow, I almost went really unprofessional then. Um, you were gonna say a word that nobody should say on a podcast, weren't you? I wasn't gonna no, I wasn't gonna go that far. I wasn't gonna go that far. We're not fans of Don Broco. That's fine. They still exist, unfortunately. I'm not even fans of fans um, of Don Broco either. So like Well I yeah, yeah just sure. sound. Um but yeah, so I, I agree in the sense that so many of so many great riffs and moments on here that's like this really sort of bouncy alternative rock. Um it's really powerful. Um, type punchy kind of sound. Um, I really enjoyed this album, Jack. But give me your general thoughts before we jump in on a track by track basis. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. So I put out a review of this on Noise today. Um, so I liked it so much that I actually picked up a review uh, of it, and that doesn't often happen anymore for me. But it was really refreshing and really 
you know, it, it's right up my street in terms of sound and stylings and the kind of combination and the way that it's been put together. Um, uh, and I gave it a, well, I mean, I might give a bit much away, but we're already saying we love it. I gave it an eight out of 10 mm. uh, on noise. Not that we do scores on here, but just to kind of, I was really taken by it. Absolutely. Yeah, I I really, really enjoyed this. I think it's a really, really solid rock album. Um, and I didn't I didn't expect it to sound this sort of versatile as well. I think one of the mm. things that you tend to get with solo records from singular artists is that it tends to sound samey. Like, just to draw a comparison, um, Beartooth, uh, the, the last Beartooth record, which isn't a... Which isn't a solo, which what what be strange because it isn't a solo artist, but really is because Caleb Sharma writes everything and he plays all the instruments. Um, just yeah. under the pseudonym Beartooth, it's essentially a solo record. A lot of those records do tend to follow a template. Um, when you listen to Corey Taylor's, uh, I think that was CFMT. A lot of that followed the same similar type of blueprint. Sometimes you benefit from having additional musicians to sort of widen the range of stuff that you're producing, and Joe here manages to do that without seemingly any additional songwriting influence now i'll talk to him about that tomorrow and he might confirm to me well actually it was more of a collaborative process and i helped with this person and whatever that might be the case but i'm going to guess if his name's on the door the majority of this music has come from him and him alone Mm -hmm. and in that circumstance it's incredibly impressive to look at the opening two tracks here is a really good um microcosm for the record as a whole um dystopian dreams it's like a nice soft synthetic open hasn't it? it really matches the song title lovely clean riff to open but also it's very simplistic. You know, it's easily sort of um, easy sort of riff to attach yourself to, um, easily sing-alongable, um, m- instantly melodious, really, really impressive. Uh, great chorus. I really like the sort of juxtaposition of two different vocals from Joe. You can hear when he's sort of mixed in the background. I think that's a nice touch. It's a really nice layered um, rock song. And then you get Silver Lining. We've got this bombastic riff to open, really great drums, but with a a pop sensibility and a real huskiness. What are your first impressions on those opening two? Yeah, I loved I loved the you kind of by the end of Silver Lining, you knew what you were gonna get with this record, didn't you? And yes. you but in in, in it, not in necessarily in a predictable way, but you already knew that he, he had two different streams that he could lean on. Um, you know, in terms of the the opener, Dystopian Dreams was more of a it, it it built it built its way through and it had that fuzzy riff but it was kind of there was sort of a darkness to it you're absolutely right i picked up on the vocals as well the way he switched from the the, the sort of harsh gritty cleans to the kind of the, the you know the, the the more the gruffness but there was such range there um and it's at that point that i kind of picked up the alexis on fire comparison albeit alexis on fire do that with two separate vocalists um and I loved in Dystopian Dreams that his his vocals didn't sit at the front of the mix the whole time. They kind of almost phased in and out of that, uh, which I found really, really cool. Um, and then Silver Lining kicks in and it's got that brilliant groove and that bounce and it feels upbeat. And it's like, OK, well, we can do we can do some of that kind of slow, sleazy riffs <coughs> that are really sort of get stuck in your head. But then we can also do sort of high energy and bounce and i and i obviously looked at the press notes quite extensively for the um the review that i did and that i wrote up and it it talked about him having all of these kind of um riffs ideas these songs to be able to and he wanted to be able to kind of he knew that they were kind of big choruses big energy and that that sort of expansive nature to them and that it was actually a conversation with his own grandmother um that kind of she said to him she said i can see you rocking stadiums one day uh and he kind of i think he put something along the lines of whether that be the case or not it was the kick up the ass that i needed uh and i loved that and it was at that point that then he went to um the producer and went to sam ogden who is the drummer for static dress and pulled them both in so you were talking about beartooth before and how caleb shoma will kind of he has a band and he has people around him, um, but decides to do it all himself. And then sort of, you know, he's very much in control of that. Whereas what Joe's done is take the ideas that he's less confident with and, and, and actually out of the ashes of his previous band, Bad Sign, um, 
<clears throat> and and then crafted something by bringing in people that he trusted to kind of and I, and and I think it's actually really bold and, and and brave of him to one put it out on his own name and and two to be so ambitious on a debut record. Like, I just find it pretty astonishing that he's kind of had the confidence to take some of these really sort of raw feelings and emotions that he had some really sort of uh, sensitive topics that are close to him and put them out in an album, but also then trust other people to bring in their influence to it. Um, interesting choice to put it out under his own name because you kind of can't help but see it. Oh, is this a, a side project or it's very much the spotlight is on one person, isn't it? But it, you know, it, 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 it absolutely works. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. I think there's there's a lot there's a lot here to really really sort of like. There's a lot here to sort of really be impressed by. Um, I think that comes with the the one of the highlight tracks for me, which was Leech, the next track. I think I really really enjoyed this tune. Um, felt more of an indie song in the opening. That staccato drum beat knocking through. Nice riff that kind of reminded me of like uh pre controversy Lost Profits tunes in the and and almost like Maximo Park and Block Party and those kind of like late 2000s indie bands that were really popular man a bit of hard fi for those who remember hard fi um and it kicks in after that though with this really thick guitar tone that prefaces the chorus and that was really really enjoyable as well immediate stadium rock really anthemic really highlighted there uh, and i was a big big fan of that i think there's so much of this album that that's that, that's sort of perfectly suited um to radio play I could imagine hearing this on the Radio One Rock show. I can imagine people um, playing this while at the, the, the gym or going on drives and that type of stuff. It's got a kind of accessibility um, to it that I think is 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 really going to serve Joe well. Um, and I agree with you in the sense that the vocals don't always take the shine in the way that you'd expect from a solo artist, where you'd expect that sort of um, that central vocal to really sort of come to the spotlight and come to the fore. That doesn't take place. Um, he definitely becomes part of this overall, um, sort of the overall layering and the texture of the whole of the music as a whole. And it's really, really impressive. Um, you look at the rest of the record, just to sort of go through some of my thoughts here. Um, and I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly. I'm going to go Aeonian, Aeonian forever. Uh, snaky, like a rhythmic riff, really enjoyable shifts in tempo, very singable main figure, really lovely solo. It was a great chorus on here. Um, songs like The Escapist and Green and The Fugitive are, for me, like relatively sort of album filler tracks, but at the same time, they're still all, even though the floor of this record is still really simple, ca catchy with a really great groove to it. I think there's so much of this. Even the songs that my past my past listeners buy in comparison to some of the others are still really good in their own right. And then you've got what I would expect more of the album to have been, to be frank. When you hear a single person's name, I think ballads, I think acoustic songs, I think clean guitar. And that's what Last Orders was. Really nice vocal combo, uh, really fades and kicks in with the lovely layers of vocal later on. And the same, um, the same with Utopian Nightmare at the conclusion, which I thought was really, really lovely. Um, the harsh and falsetto chorus is there. The album and song of of some real depth. Um, and then obviously you had that those sort of modern stadium rock comparisons in Mount Back Blues and 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 love and love and war. I think in the second third of this record, it does fade a touch. I think it's front loaded with some of the better rock songs, which is typical, and it does follow a blueprint with sort of maybe the second third of the rock songs really going further down. I think you know. Um, but uh, songs like Love and War, The Fugitive and Green are here here and there for me, relatively interchangeable, but that's okay. They're, they're still at their at their floor, like I mentioned, they're still really, really terrific rock songs. And I think this is an album of real depth, real versatility, and gives Joe a lot of scope for whatever he whatever he's planning on sort of doing in the future. You can absolutely see this in nightclubs and you can absolutely see this at festivals and you can absolutely see this in out to academy sized venues at the very least um in the next maybe the next album or the next couple of albums i think this guy's got a lot of potential i think this album's really really good for him yeah absolutely um yeah i think just in general uh, and you've kind of picked out a lot of the highlights um that i myself 
loved but just to touch back on some of the ones for me um yeah i absolutely loved leech you're right and the scrappiness at certain parts it, it felt a little bit like you know there was parts of it that came out of nowhere that felt a little bit like lightning in a bottle and then you had some of the more sort of mainstream stylizings i could really see the influence from producer on on the escapist um but i loved you know sort of the way he came across vocally and i think by the time you talked about last orders and by the time it came to that point in the album it didn't i think it would be it wouldn't be right to say that it had been one tracked but i think i was looking for something else i'd seen little sort of intonations in some of the other thing in in some of the other songs that um you know such as green for example you know there was that little falsetto in the chorus it was just a really nice little touch that i noticed and felt oh that does something a little different this track feels on the whole more upbeat a little bit more fun it, it's kind of had that sort of riffy half time outro to close that was really cool but by the time we got to last orders i, I kind of just thought i needed this uh, i needed <laughs> to hear joe at sort of um a different pace and um i i was all at that point longing to hear him and it was that stripped back took some of the other stylings away because the riffs are so fuzzy it does feel quite heavily layered um, and that's not a negative thing but I was kind of like I really want to hear what Joe can do uh, you know vocally at this point uh, and you do there it's him at his most vulnerable um, it's him talking about um, I think addiction um, that slow building pace it, it felt like something a little different Um and you talked then about Mount Back Blues and Utopian Nightmares, which is the which is the closer. Um, and it just feels like those last two songs. I mean, both of them are over five minutes. Um, they both felt slightly more expansive, like the you know either the group or Joe felt like they could be um, more creative, not have to consider putting it into a sort of a, a time scale so to speak or having to kind of stick to your three minute radio play type thing um and it felt like they could be more you know like you had on some of the alexis record uh and you know they they kind of weren't afraid of having big instrumental sections that slowly sort of came to a crescendo and then ended and i love that i mean particularly in utopian nightmares um where it was kind of started stripped back and then it pulls in, you know, bit by bit, there's the inclusion of, of instrument. And it, it, it kind of feels like more of a big, heavy ballad uh, in a sense. And the outro was massive. It very much felt like a closer. Um, and in Mount Back Blues, there was those two sort of instrumental sections where did some really interesting stuff um, and, it, and it shook it up nicely right towards the end of the record. But yeah, as a whole, I think, you know, it's you dig you dig beneath a little bit and it's lyrically vulnerable um, and that gives it a bit of substance, a little bit of depth. But as a as a kind of uh, a takeaway anyway, you know, it's 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 meaty. It's absolutely what it says on the tin. You know, it's it's stadium sized uh, arena riffs. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's a brilliant combination and a really ambitious debut record. I mean, delivering this as a debut, I mean, you know, the the sophomore could be really special, um, and it and it's kind of like a bit of a a very expansive and a very generous taster palette almost for what potentially, you know, if if this was Joe feeling uh, feeling somewhat vulnerable and putting a new project out, or there was any sort of tentative nature in doing so. <laughs> Well, I dread to think what it's like when he's got a bit of confidence behind him because we could be onto something really, really good. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's a great record. I would agree. I would agree. I think this is a really solid first step. And I think you're right in, in identifying that the sophomore record could be really, really, really interesting in terms of the versatility and the variety and the depth that he could go oh, excuse me, that he could go into over the course of his career. Quite clearly got a lot of talent. And it sounds like he's only beginning to tap into it. I think this is really, really interesting. It's not often that you find a solo artist that plays this kind of music. It's usually band-based stuff. So I think this is really, really cool. Um, I think good for him for sort of striking out on his on his own. I think good for him for changing um, stylistically what he's doing and sort of striking out in this manner. 
I don't think there's any reason why he can't be uh, a real success moving forward if he continues in this same vein. It's clearly sort of paid off, um, especially getting this record off the ground so quickly. So really good for him. I'm looking forward to discussing it with him. Uh, tomorrow, I assume, we'll, it'll probably be on this podcast or the next podcast, or the next couple of podcasts, at the very least, maybe attached to this one. It'll be on soon. It'll yeah, be absolutely. on soon. And, um, it'll be on soon. Uh, and Joe Appleford is out on tour at the end of the month, I believe, with uh, good friends of the podcast, El Muno. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, El Muno can do no wrong, as far as I'm concerned. So that that'll be a, that'll be a wicked thing for everybody um, involved. Um, so moving forward, Jack, you haven't listened to Highlong, but I know that you know um, sort of the, the kind of the kind of group that they are. Uh, for those who those who haven't had any knowledge of Highlong, I'm just going to give you um, a few phrases that I'm going to take from the PR notes, from Google searches, from the few bits and bobs that I've found out over the last couple of days. Uh, they describe themselves as the Enigmatic Ritual Collective. They were formed in 2015. They described their sound as Amplified History, which I thought was insane. But then I listened to them and I was like, yeah, it actually <laughs> is. Amplified History, That's that makes a ton of sense. Spot on. Yeah. Um, Their band members aren't called band members. They call themselves the composers. Um, Their lead composer, one of the lead composers, is a man who's called Kai U Faust. Um, uh, they described this album and when they were talking about writing this album they said and I quote our attempts to tame it were fruitless which sounds like really threatening um, their first album was called Othnia in 2015 their second album was called Futha in 2019 they've also appeared on Game of Thrones and Vikings that is their music not the band members themselves although that wouldn't surprise me either um, so all of that information collectively should give you, the listener, an imperson- impression Sorry, of what kind of group we're talking about here, Jack. Um, I would characterise this band as a periodical music, it's probably fair to say. Sort of like the metal equivalent to sort of like, not quite, like, not like Downton Abbey, but like in the way that Downton Abbey produces drama in the 19th century. And it's a spotlight on that type of society. The Highlung produced music that is representative of primordial society and is a musical harking back to that age. Is that am I somewhere in the right ballpark based on your own experiences? Yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, absolutely. And I, um, so I haven't listened to the new album. I think I've heard a couple of the singles, but I actually got into them at the time of what did you call it, Fufa? FUFA, yes, 2019's FUFA. I feel like I've butchered that. But yes, that's the album that I listened to. Uh, and it would be no surprise to you, Sam, that I listened to that because I uh, watched Vikings and absolutely loved it. And obviously was a Game of Thrones fan. Um, yeah, they're like, for anyone that would know, the kind of, I think the most the most popular or the most well-known band in this genre is Wardruna, who you might have heard of. Um, and I think particularly since the last season of vikings uh came to a close wardruna were featured so heavily on that you've seen them kind of more and more on um british lineups and there's been more of a calling for that sort of um music just because it's been in the kind of popular mm. zeitgeist so to speak um and Heilung actually kind of tailed onto the back of that i remember that metal hammer did um <coughs> covers i can't remember whether it was at the start of this year end of last year or it was a 2021 thing they did these five covers with with different artists on that they said were kind of big up and comers, and I think Highland were were one of them. And it's just because they oh, there's not a lot like them, is there? Uh, and I think the difference between them and Wardruna is Wardruna have some kind of it's it it feels lighter. They don't necessarily tap so much into the darkness of the time, but you know, in terms of some of the ways that you explained that Highland kind of view themselves or the way they try to view making music you know particularly i remember in in fufa there was you know you could hear sometimes there was just these long drawn out instrument instrumental sections of just what sounded like like bones rattling and then sort of sporadic distant this 
screams and and different sort of chants and it's really really interesting it makes really you know if you haven't yeah well I think you won't have heard anything like it that's for sure I mean you imagine sort of if you have watched any kind of scene from Vikings or whatever the sort of scenes that they might play over it would be more of the, the darker moments the kind of the the and and it gets it gets it puts you in a weird place actually um but talk me through Drift that's the new album is that much of the same and from what I've explained there is that what you're going to get on this record yeah, if you're expecting um, instrumental jazz, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, no, um, it absolutely follows the the atmospheric sounds of the Nordic times pre Jesus's birth. It feels like that's the vibe that we're going with. Um, I get the impression that the band don't see themselves as a band; they see themselves as entities that are the vessel of this sort of pre um, pre modern civilization. There's lots of references to the Middle Ages, the Bronze Age, and really it's the atmosphere and the sound of that time rather than really to call it to call it music is even a bit of a stretch because the word music implies compositions and structure. And there's a lot of this that isn't necessarily structured in a very traditional way at all. It It's probably more best described as a collection of sound. For those who kind uh, of um, go on, sorry. Yeah, I no, I was just going to say I kind of viewed it as a score, a music score. Yes, it is much closer me, to that. Yeah, that's that's the best way it, to do it. Yeah, it, it sort of almost helped me to digest it because I was listening to it, waiting for structure. And you're absolutely right; it's more like music to match scenes and to and to build imagery and to kind of you know, uh, yeah, you know. And it's no wonder then that it would play over certain scenes of shows like Vikings because you wouldn't find it on the soundtrack you'd find it on the score do you know what i mean that that absolutely it's that kind of that helped me to sort of digest it i think yeah and i think think that's fair to say so in that sense um to review it as a piece of music in the same way that we talk about a band is is frankly fucking irrelevant and it's it's just best to talk about it as as a historical accompaniment this is kind of the music that would be in the background of a history podcast with a narrator, with this music sort of going on behind. But they actually delve into a more spoken word element on this album in comparison to some of the ones that you've been maybe uh, referring to. Um, so it starts off really beautifully. Um, the song Astra, A-S-J-A, is just beautiful. Really, really nice sort of um, sung female-led melody. Um, with just some strings behind it. It is just gorgeous. And the same follows on Anuana, Anuana I think that's correct, uh, with some rotating vocals with male and female speakers and lots of guest speakers here. There's like a group clan kind of vibe to it, clan spelled C-L-I-N for our American listeners, don't get frightened. And uh, really lots going on. The, the, the one where it gets particularly atmospheric and particularly dark, and some would say even bleak, uh, and I say some would say, I would say bleak, um, because the third song is a song called Tenet, and it's 13 minutes and five seconds long, and opens with a child reciting what I can only assume is the Scandinavian alphabet um, without accompanying music, which for about 40 seconds is fucking terrifying, weirdly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it kind of builds up as we go on when there's like an, a kind of dance instrumental going on behind it while the chanting is going on, which then becomes vaguely inspiring. Um, like you kind of imagine um, running towards something, maybe achieving something, probably stabbing something um, at various points. Uh, it's it's really quite an impressively textured um, record. Um, as the as the as the album goes on, we get a lot of it delves them really very much into a, a spoken word traditional Nordic um, collection of of sounds, uh, including the eight minute twenty six second Kelton Trower. Uh, which has a spoken word intro in a language I can't can't name. And the shouting and distant marching, like um, military boots on the ground, kind of distant marching. Um, obviously, the language barrier in itself is a tough sell in terms of actually trying to decipher the meaning. It really, it 
he adds it adds to the um authenticity of the sound but from a listener standpoint it's difficult to get your head around for large portions just hearing something in a language that you are because oh, i'm not entirely sure if it's like modern day norwegian it could be knowing knowing this band it could very much be like ancient celtic as far as it could be don't know what we're doing here um and then it kind of shifts gears a little bit like on the song nesso has like an eastern feel with some haunting vocals uh busless ben and nikal is really just chanting for about nine minutes that's the best way i can describe it and then finally a song that you'd enjoy would be the closer marduk which opens with the same man who was doing the spoken word earlier this time he's whispering because of course he is and it feels very lord of the rings because there's like a bell going on in the background accompanying the whispering you know the bit at the start of the fellowship of the ring where um gladriel is speaking but she's right at the start that whispering that happens absolutely at the beginning um when she talks about legends become myths myths become all that type of stuff there's that vibe to it it's really atmospheric if i was listening to us in earphones i think i'd shuddered hearing some of that because it is the guy who's just like right in your ear like sort of it is insane but incredibly atmospheric beautifully put together really layered um what i will say is that you have to be a very particular audience member to seek this out I would assume that you'd have to be incredibly interested in traditional um, Viking and Nordic history to really get the most out of this. Um, bit of a history nerd or a history buff or someone has a deep layered interest in hearing the authenticity of that sound. Um, if you're expecting this to be like, I mean, because in a way, someone will be like, oh, so like a monomath, they do traditional Viking music. Not at all like a monomath. No, 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 no. Um, this is like the 15 seconds at the start of a monomath album before the riffs kick in. The whole album is like that bit. Um, so it's very, very different. This is like when you're playing Assassin's Creed and you're on the boat and they should start singing. It's like it's like that, um, like sea shanties and stuff. But there's a bit of that. Like that is genuinely what's going on. Now, in terms of a listener experience, I've heard very little like it. Uh, and I mean that as an incredible compliment because for its genre going to go on the limb and say this is the best type of music of this type i've ever heard and certainly as authentic as it could possibly be it's an incredibly impressive and incredibly atmospheric record um it's 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 quite an interesting listen and it's that authenticity that i think is the sell i think it's the right time for the you know you said you have to be a very specific niche crowd for it yes i think just it's the time where there is a niche crowd for it. And I think that's why it kind of finds itself. Yes, it's probably more, you'd have to describe it as like worldwide sort of Scandinavian influence, like you said, periodic music. And I don't even know if metal comes into that. It's metal no. in its dark, stylistic nature. Mm-hmm. It's, it's grim, it's bleak. Yes. But it's not. But you can you imagine a live show of this? Man, that would be insane. Yeah, I agree. It's metal in the way that rain is metal, you know. Um, so just to just to close off on that, um, I want to say thank you to everybody that listened. Thank you to the band Highlong. Thank you to the uh, to Joe Appleford. Look forward to speaking to you um, tomorrow. So thank you to everyone that's listened to it so far. Okay, coming up now is my interview with Joe Appleford. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Noise Podcast, part of the Noise Podcast Network. I've got the incredibly talented Joe Appleford with us this evening. Joe, how are you, sir? Yes, very good. Very good, thank you. Yeah. How are you? That's phenomenal. I'm, I'm well. I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm very, very good, despite the fact that the weather appears to be sort of cascading downwards. My mood is sort of going in the opposite trajectory today, so I'm feeling pretty good. So let's talk about... Yeah, Let's talk about the let's talk about the, the new record, your first debut album, your first solo record. You're in a band bad sign for six years. Mm. Um, this was quite a brave move to move away from a band in a completely different genre. I imagine quite a entrenched support network of people that you've known for a long time and really do this on your own. At what point did you make that decision? What did it put did like that that decision become clear to you that was the right thing to do? And how did you actually go about first creating this music for yourself? when I first sent the demos to Neil Kennedy, who was like the producer for the record, um, you know, and he's a friend as well. He, as soon as he sort of gave me the nod and said that there was something in it and that we could make something special, then um, that just put the wind 
winded myself really and I just uh, just put my head down started to figure out all the other elements that I had to do um, and uh, and yeah I mean I've I've been wanting to do this type of music for ages to be honest and uh, you know um, when I got the opportunity to like start writing solo stuff I originally started writing this you know sort of acoustic singer songwriter type stuff but then ultimately it it didn't really didn't really sort of I didn't vibe it enough so yeah just plugged in the guitar fuzz pedal octave and just started writing these hooky riffs and and then yeah just started building some songs and and, and here we are you know yeah of course what what prompted the decision rather than joining a band and being Joe Appleford lead singer of X group why mm. why ride why riding solo why that decision um I'm quite a I'm quite a single-minded person and I really don't I'd had enough of consulting other people to be honest <laughs> you know like when you're in a band it's a very democratic process um yeah you know and I just had enough of that you know when you're solo you just write what you want to write uh Neil my producer is the only person that can sort of veto things or say hey Joe try this or because I really trust him on that level um and also I just thought if I'm going to do something and I am going to give music another crack and undermine steam like my own name not hide behind anything you know just be out there and put myself out there for for uh for judgment shall we say yeah. <laughs> no, no, I completely, I completely understand that. So you mentioned the the relationship with Neil, the producer. How mm. does that work as a songwriting standpoint? Because I'm, I'm always curious about this process. Do you write the songs yeah. completely yourself, and then come to Neil, and it's like a twigs and touches kind of kind of situation, or is it more of a collaborative process in the studio for you two? It's uh, yeah, it's twigs and touches really, and um, it's it's like fine tuning. You know, I bring I I bring the songs. Um, we sort of we do like a pre-production week where we just sit, run through the songs, run through the lyrics, talk about the importance of the connection from the lyrics to the music. Um, and then also figure out like, what do we want to add in above and beyond? So for the record, you know, I wrote everything apart from the drums. So the drums were written and performed by uh, Sam Ogden, who's in uh, Static Dress. Um, and yeah sam's a good mate so but everything else is written by me in terms of like the string arrangement you know brass arrangement guitar bass everything else but then neil came you know he came to the table with a lot of you know interesting production ideas especially vocally he he, he really pushes me to find like different levels within my vocals and and try different things that i wouldn't have thought about so um yeah he's he's very important to the process yeah, no, I can I can absolutely imagine that. There's a lot of listening to the record, which is great, by the way. Reviewed it this week, and um, thank you. There's a, the, no, 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 it's a pleasure. And and there's a lot of sort of layered vocals there. The sort of circumstances, especially mm. on some of the softer tunes, where you're singing like a kind of a falsetto, like a softer kind of vocal melody, and then a background. It's you again, sort of this harsher, rawer type of stuff. Yeah. When you put these songs together, is that a, is that a is that a decision that's part of your initial songwriting? Does that happen? later on was that something that you sort of touch on i think oh actually i could i could echo it there we could do a bit of a call and return here or do you actually write different sets of lyrics and, and see it that way yeah so I, I tend to write the um most of the vocal ideas um and then neil will neil will also make it something that's another level from what it was and particularly like it's quite like a strip back it's the strip back song on the record if you will you know originally that was just um guitar and vocals and then he had this idea to bring in these like um almost like bit crush nine inch nails type drums that come in like it, when it on the last chorus um uh, because he's yeah he's like a massive nine inch nails fan and uh he just sort of heard that and I, I never would have heard that as an example really so and it added an extra dynamic and i love the fact that we could use electronics in you know dotted in the right places um it's a little bit like the use of strings like we weren't too gregarious with it um but we used it in the right way in the right places i think and um and it it gives extra dynamic to the record and um yeah ultimately i think that's that's how we want to approach things we just want to make each song as good as it can be and take time over it as well you know?
Yeah, of course. There appears to be a lot of versatility in this record musically, like the opening, the opening of the albums, like this sort of alternative, almost like like you mentioned in the, in sort of the PR notes we got said, you can absolutely hear the uh, the Black Keys influence and the White Stripes and things like that, mm. and a lot of these sort of more alternative, sort of scratchy kind of like you talk about the fuzz pedal and those sort of like those sort of bands. It's really sort of key through that. But also we've got a sense of like you talk about there's some synthetic elements, there's some some really sort of almost ballads type songs near the near the second half of this. Yeah. Um when you when you wrote when you wrote this album, when you wrote <clears> this album, was there kind of a a theme that ran through it? I know it's you've described it a bit of a concept at record, musically mm. or lyrically, or was it all right, these are the 12 best songs I've written in this eight-month period, and they're going to just be pieced together, and this is the way that it's gone. Or did you think about the album's construction as a whole here? Yeah, it was definitely meticulous, like, in terms of, you know, I got together, you know, a, a bunch of songs, um, then sort of, you know, whittled them down to the 12 that are on the record, then went through pre-production with those, um, with Neil, um, and then started to... I had the title for the record before I wrote any lyrics, um, Dystopian Dreams, Utopian Nightmare. So I built the lyrics off of that concept, really. And then the 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 first and last tracks are bookends lyrically as well. And when you listen to the record, you'll probably notice that the lyric, there's a lyric from Dystopian Dreams that is the final lyric at the end of Utopian Nightmares as well. Um, so I, yeah, I love concept records. I love circular themes. I love, mm. I love a, like a reprise, if you will. I love something coming back and, and your ear sort of goes, hold on a minute. I heard that about 48 <laughs> minutes ago. What's that? You know, <laughs> but, um, but each track had a, because the lyrics are, you know, I'm taking on like a character in each song type thing. Um, it worked that way musically as well. Like the first track to me is like a mashup of, you know, like um, Bullet the Blue Sky by U2 and Led Zeppelin, you know, something like When the Levy Breaks. It's got that, but then it's also got this like Alexis on Fire type vibe as well, like the softer, more yeah. grandiose parts of Alexis on Fire. So I think I wanted to blend the album between like all out, you know, fun rock music that you can move to, um, but also sprinklings of you know more tender moments uh more grandiose moments particularly the opener and the closer i always feel that you should structure an album like a set come out big hit them hard you know the first few tracks then you know have the part in the middle that where people can really appreciate the vocal and open up and then finish strong as well you know so that's that's how i i approach albums like i approach a live set in terms of construction um just a bit more time and whatever else but yeah oh that's interesting uh i've got a couple of questions there because um you, i'm an english teacher so you talk about writing about characters has already made me excited so <laughs> when you talk about some of your lyrics um some of those appear to be personal experiences but you've mentioned just the that you've that you sort of write in the adoption of a character is it like yeah. a blend of the real and the metaphorical when you write these lyrics so like to draw an example there's a Famous Bruce Springsteen anecdote: We wrote the river about his brother, mm. but he and he takes on the character of his brother while he's going through this kind of hardship. But there's that combination of it being figurative and then it also being an actual experience that he went through. Is that similar to where we're talking with yourself? Yeah. So the album started. The characters are obviously people, either people that I've encountered or you know experiences that I've been through, um, or. I've seen people go through a lot of it is observational the bulk of the record is observational um different for me because in bad sign it was all very personal you know like really personal songs that's interesting is you say observation there's a lot there's a lot of mentions here about sort of sort of societal themes and ideas actually you, you, the title of the album is dystopian dreams dystopian nightmares is it it's it's the most journalistic cliche piers morgan type question i'm going to ask you today but is 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 any of the last 18 months, the pandemic, the cost of living, the war, any of that, the, the general misery day to day sort of affecting our world at the moment? Has any of that played into any of your songwriting? Um, no, not really. No, because um, I think the best songs either encapsulate, you know, moments in time or, or they encapsulate you know, things that are recurring themes and um, good or bad. And that's what this record has, you know, all of the themes encapsulate, you know, relationships or interactions with people or, um, 
you know interactions with events that are for good or bad sake they can be recurring you know um there's there's obviously some some more i guess the most topical track is probably love and war which i guess explicitly talking about that constant state of inertia that's sort of portrayed through the media um you know they're constantly demonizing sectors of people in one breath but then glorifying people in another breath that that um you know have really strange ideals you know homophobia is for example is still prevalent in a lot of mainstream media you know and it's you know racism same thing mm -hmm. you know transphobia and and i think that those subjects for me you know now's the time to sort of push push past that we should be way past that type of thing mm. and you know when i sort of see these things reoccurring talking about relationships and things like that i think you can be i think certain subject matter like racism homophobia transphobia etc you have to be explicit um in a sort of rage against the machine style just out there in your face like and so yeah i was sort of blending those two songwriting styles as well a little bit on the record no, I think I think that's the best way of doing it, really, isn't it? It's, it's sort of making sure that, like you say, that the if you've got a political standpoint to make, that's as loud as possible. There's almost like an obligation yeah. that artists have to really have that bravery to be able to spread the message. And we talk about those yeah. live performances. So you've you've got this you've got this band put together. How did the band come together? What was the thought process behind the selection? And how are preparations going for performing these songs that you've constructed solo? And now they're having to be a collaborative process. How's that going? Yeah, I, I mean, it's great. I, I mean, I've only actually played four shows, um, <laughs> but they've all they've all sort of grown strength to strength. Um, in particular, 2000 Trees, you know, that was our fourth show. Um, there was a guy down the front that had printed his own merch, like bootleg merch. Um, wow. There was people come. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. We didn't didn't even have that in bad sign across all of the time we were touring across Europe and all sorts. So, um, and the reaction, just people coming up to me every day, you know, cause I stayed the whole weekend, um, sort of saying, oh, we, we saw you, you know, we, we saw you on the first day and um, really loved the set. Um, I think it, it just sort of, it gave me a boost to be honest, because there's been a lot of difficulties uh, throughout this project as well. A lot of letdowns from various people that were, involved at the start and then what and then pulled out you know but um i was never going to be swayed never going to be stopped so if if a plan changes i'll just put my head down and crack on you know so um but yeah for me selecting the band was all about firstly it was about friends so people that i knew i could tour with so i just contacted friends that were really really good players and said do you like the record sent them the record they like the record i said look you know, I can't pay you, you know, at the start, because there's not there's not money in it at the start, but I guarantee the project will take serious shape in the next couple of years. We will achieve exceptional things and I'll make sure that as 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 the money rises in the projects, the money will be going straight in your pockets. So that's a that's a solemn promise from me to sort of take you know, take the boys in the band with me on, on the journey as well. Um, and build a, you know, we're all we're all really good friends. We all know each other's families. So building that community, you know, you mentioned Bruce Springsteen earlier, E Street Band. Yeah, it was about friends and then brilliant players. And yeah, it's working really well so far. And we've got three guitars, so it's uh, it's a very powerful live setup, very full on. And uh, yeah, man, just can't wait to just play more and more shows, more festivals, etc. Next year. Yeah, that's that, that's a really exciting proposition moving forward. Now that the that as we're recording this, the album is due out tomorrow, right? So this is what I'm imagining. Um, incredibly, is it incredibly nervous or exciting time? You're about to sort of really put this put this project to the test and, and sort of see this cathartic thing that you've gone through and see how the public actually react to it. You mentioned a little bit of that with the 2000 Trees performance that you, you gave that little bit of a boost, right? How mm. are you feeling on the eve of are you feeling on the eve of the album? Um expecting that kind of what is obviously going to be a critical response, positive or otherwise. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean uh 
I think anyone who says that they just write music for themselves is lying. You know, I think uh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise yeah. you just you wouldn't leave your bedroom, right? You just write music, you'd listen to it, and you'd never release it into the world. The truth is, I want as many people as possible to like this, and I want it to, you know, hit as big an audience as possible. But at the same time, you know, I'm a realist. I understand that not everyone's going to like it. That's just how music is. Um, but I think um, for me, I want to get it out there and I want to use it as a vehicle to keep strengthening the project, you know, more shows, as I say, more festivals, just start leveling up. Um, I mean, I started writing this album, you know, sort of nearly four years ago, really, if, if we look at the timeline, nearly. It's about, yeah, about three and a half, something like that. So, and I've already finished the second record and... The second record is nearly completed production and all the rest of it. So I'm excited to get this record out, let it hit people like a truck. And then literally next year I'm coming again with another, with another output and um, it will be even stronger and each record will be stronger than the last. And, um, and yeah, to just, just to be honest, I, I'm not nervous. I just feel absolutely unstoppable at the moment. That's, that's just how I feel. I don't see any, I don't see any sort of rivals like in a similar space, you know, like solo artists. I don't think rock's really got any strong solo artists. Not really. Not that I'm picking out. Not today. Um, song wise. Anyway, I think there's fantastic front men, you know, like, uh, Frank Carter and stuff like that. Um, you know, and there's, but yeah, on the whole, I think I'm carving out my own lane. So, People are going to like it or not like it, but I think more people will like it than dislike it. That's my gut feeling. So I'm just putting my head down and yeah. putting out putting out quality music. That's that's the only objective I have, really. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's all you can do. It's your responsibility as an artist. That's interesting as well that you talk about that the second record is already done. So yeah, I've, so is this is this a two part album? Are they completely different? Were they linked at all? How did the decision making process go? With this will go on the first record, this will go on the second record because I'm assuming some of those writing sessions have got to have overlapped. No, because what a lot what a lot of people do with records is they write a bunch of songs, they do pre production, and then for the next record they might return to the songs that didn't make the first record and see if they can polish them up and you know maybe they'll make the second record uh, i just binned the songs that didn't make the second record like <laughs> i don't even remember what they were um if they weren't good enough for the first one then they're definitely not going to be good enough for the second one because the second one you know if this album's an eight out of ten the, the second one's got to be a nine or a ten that that's 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 the mentality and um i'm so proud of this first record in in every way um because it's me sort of finding my my sound and my identity and breaking out of the the trap so to speak but the second record is uh, yeah it's it's unreal you know even just yeah i listen to it and i just i think other other people have written it you know it's yeah i've really sort of pushed i've really pushed myself for the second record so uh i'm so excited to just keep going and and keep stretching the the boundaries of what what, what i'm doing really that's interesting. So even this is gonna sound like a podcast for the second album, but is the is the second record like different? <laughs> is the second record different then? Is it is it more expansive, more yeah. versatile, braver, that type of stuff? What what could we expect? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh sonically, um, you know, still the bulk of what I do will will always have that rock theme, you know, and that that the core of it will be rock music. But um, you know, there's tracks where we were working on them and Neil said it sounds like Prince meets Rage Against the Machine type. It's it's very okay. groove yeah, it's very groove laden. You know, I'm I'm like a big I'm a big fan of stuff like Anderson Park and you know Bruno Mars and uh you know, I love that Silk Sonic project they did where they sort of brought that seventies thing back and yeah, and I listened to like a lot of Lauren Hill and so I'm incorporating all sorts of stuff for this. One of the big, big records I've been listening to the last, you know, sort of six months is that Little Sims record, you know? Um, 
So I'm, I'm taking a lot of influence from different places and just trying to level up and just write better songs. And also, I'm trying to, um, to be honest, yeah, I'm, I see, I see the music as a, as a competitive landscape. That's how I see it. Um, you know, the consumer's got so much choice at their disposal so many different bands so many different artists and you know we're here competing for space so that means i've got to make the best record possible i've got to make the best live show possible um and if i'm supporting someone i'm not just there to make numbers i'm i'm here to give the headline a hard night and you know if someone's opening for me i will always select top support acts, not just people that are going to give me an easy night. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just constantly want to be challenged and I want to challenge others. And, you know, I want to, uh, I want to make a big impression, you know, with every show that I play, every festival I'm at and every record I release, I'm not here to make up numbers and, and just be in the background. Um, even though obviously this project's fairly humble beginnings, you know, in five, six years time, you know, you and I will sit down again and it will be very, very different. I know that for a fact. That'd be, that'd be absolutely fantastic. I'm going to get you out of here on this. And this is the final one. I read, <laughs> in, the, I read in the notes, not only have you got a, a second, a second album in the books, you've got a plan for four albums in five years. Is Correct, that, yeah. is that accurate? So can you could just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for the, the Wolf of Wall Street kind of, here's the flow chart, here's how we're going to make all this money. And all sort of but, but have you already got like game plan for like, the next three albums like in the next five years how does that work exactly i mean at a simple level i already have like the title of each record um so i already know how the concepts like link between each other um i have like mini goals for each record um that that change that you know like with this record those goals change because at the start of the project to be candid i had certain people involved that could have expedited my journey to certain goals that I had at the time. Those people decided to leave the project and basically bottle it, which is fair enough. That's all right. Um, <laughs> you know, and you know, I'm not, I'm professional. I won't name names and bullshit like that, but ultimately the, you know, those people decided to pursue other routes and other artists and all the rest of it, which is their prerogative. But, you know, I said to one person in particular, like, you, you will regret it because all you're do all you've basically done is fuel me. Um, I'm such a driven person in general life anyway, but um, when, when someone like shows me that they don't believe in me, it just, right, it just steps me up a level and it, it just makes more bullish and more determined. And so that's why I'm planning for constant output and, you know, the constant output model, it really comes from me stepping back and looking at the music industry, particularly rock music, where, you know, like a band, you know, they'll put out two or three singles, put out the record, they try and put out more singles post record release. And the truth is people don't give a shit. Once the record's out, you listen to the record, even if you really love it, there's so much choice now that um, if you don't release output consistently, to a high standard you will be forgotten about that's just that's just how it is now um and i sort of you know it sounds mad but i looked at someone like rihanna's career if you look at that first sort of six to eight years of rihanna's career it is just relentless output now listen on a completely different scale in terms of budget and all the rest of it but the principle is the same relentlessly good output that elevates time after time each release is better than the other um the marketing steps up you know the the image steps up everything um so i'm i'm already planning you know everything to that sort of meticulous level and um things are going to happen and like they have done with this record and they'll try and throw me off course that's just life but i will i will not be thrown off course and i have clear targets in my mind about you know, headlining Brixton within this time frame, headlining, you know, the O2 in this time frame. Um, as an example, uh, Madison Square Garden within this time frame. And um, it, it will all happen and it will all be achieved. And um, it's not a matter of if, it's just when. That's all it is. Wow. 
Well, that is that is one of the most forthright, assertive, and, and lively interviews I've ever had um, <laughs> over the last couple of years. I, 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 I look I look I look forward to, I look forward to what's going to be the sign of the times part two featuring Joe Appleford in the next eighteen months, based on your description yeah. of the second album to come. Um, just want to say thank you <laughs> for your time, my man. Um, I really. I really Thank appreciate you. you giving us a chance to have a chat and I look forward to the next conversation that we have, hopefully from uh, both of our beachfront mansions as you've just, you just forward my media career and I'll forward your music one and we'll do the best we can for each other. But in the in the meantime, well. it's been an absolute pleasure and I'll say thank you so much, okay? Thank you Thanks, again. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it, mate. And, uh, been a pleasure, been a pleasure. I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, so uh, I wish you uh, <laughs> zero luck at the weekend when we give you a good... <laughs> When we give you a good hiding. Uh, mate, if you play you play for the first 89 minutes against Chelsea, I'm not scared at all. At all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. <laughs>